the same things that you need to do with your employees and with leadership is the same things we should all be doing out in society with our friends, with our family. We should be listening. We should be hearing. We should be seeking to understand a different perspective. And even if we disagree, we should be open to being able to hear things that we don't like in the opportunity so that we can better understand it and potentially, uh, potentially even change that viewpoint, if not at the very least, find some common ground. I'm Stephen Pesavento, and welcome to the Name Your Number podcast presented by The Investor Mindset. As someone who comes from a challenging childhood, I've spent my life seeking financial security, personal growth, and ultimately freedom. The freedom to not wake up worried about the next paycheck, but rather with the confidence of knowing that my passive income pays my bills without the need to think about it. When you name your number that you'll earn passively, that creates your ultimate quality of life, then I believe you've achieved real freedom. Welcome to my show. It's time to name your number. How are you doing today, Jason? Oh, doing awesome, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. I know you're doing some you know, amazing things in the space of leadership and communication training, working with organizations, helping them get the most and treat their employees in the best way. And so I think that's really going to play well into kind of the conversation that we often have on the investor mindset about creating a great life and using your business and investments to do so. So we have a lot of business owners who are always looking to improve and, you know, the best businesses run because they've got great employees and great team members. So I think that's going to be really great to get into before we get into all of that. Tell me, Jason, what was one of the first things you named, one of the first goals or targets that you set for yourself? And talk to us a little bit about the path towards going after that. Man, great question. I'll say on the financial side, I dreamt of what it was like to hit a million dollars. And when I hit that goal, I felt like anything was possible. And I remember hearing Les Brown say, you know, the hardest things to hit a million dollars. And then once you hit a million dollars, it just kind of comes after that because it becomes an energetic thing. Um, so I say that on the financial side, that was awesome. Say that in terms of my goals, man, I have been able to grow my company. We're now in the top 5% of employee and labor relations consultants in the country. And I started my company in 2005 with legitimately $100 in my pocket. And that was money that my parents had given me. And to grow to where we are now, it's just been incredible. So it's been fun. Yeah, it's incredible to go out and kind of create your own thing and and leave the old way of uh, working for a company behind and and yes. taking that risk. That moment that you had made that million dollars, you talk about what Les Brown said about the energy of how that follows. Yes. What was that energy and what did that feel like? Man, it felt like on one, on one side, it was exhilarating. On the other side, it was humbling, right? It was exhilarating because I did it. And if I could do this, Look, I'm a social worker. I got my bachelor's degree in social work, my master's degree in social work, and a master's degree in human resources management. But at heart, I will always be a social worker. So I came out of undergrad and I came out of grad school with the hope that I can make $40,000, right? Because that, that, was, that was the pinnacle for me. So to be exponentially above that, it was just exhilarating. The humbling side was recognizing how hard I had to work to achieve the things that I've been able to achieve. Because I think that you know, when I meet arrogant people, I, there's nothing, I'm confident. There's nothing wrong with being confident. But when I meet arrogant people, I'm like, you clearly have no ability to recall how hard it is to become what you become. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I remember those times sleeping in the back of my car, 
um, you know, bathing in, you know, a bathroom at, Am- you know, at Amico stations. Right. And I'm not saying that I was homeless. I'm saying that I was on the road doing these gigs. And when I was nothing in terms of name recognition, when I was nothing in terms of these clients seeing me as anything more than just a cog in the wheel. So I never forget those moments because it keeps me grounded as I ascend up. Yeah, it's so important to be able to go back to that place because it's really easy to forget how hard the path was to get where you were or the way that you used to think because you almost leave that version of yourself behind as you're on that path towards growth. So being able to hold on to enough of that to keep that in your mind so that you can have appreciation, empathy for others so that they might also be able to follow along in your path. A hundred percent, man. I mean, it's, gosh, now we're talking about legacy building, right? And oftentimes when people talk about legacy, they talk in terms of their kids, their direct descendants, but legacy looks like the amount of people that I've touched, right? I mean, I just, like I have a hundred mentors and 99 of them I've never met. And because I believe in books, I believe in stories, I believe in learning what worked well for someone, what didn't work so well for someone. So I can apply it in my life. I mean, it's just, but if you hear the energy in my voice, it's because I'm so excited about the life that I have because it's the life yeah. that I went out to make. And yeah, yeah, it's been incredible. Oh, well, I think there's something so interesting just to go on a little side quest here because, you know, we're at a time where people are ex- experiencing extremely difficult times. Yes. People are there, the disparity between those who are wealthy and those who are not wealthy. Uh, and those with a set of beliefs that empower them and those who don't, uh, mm-hmm. it seems like a, a really beautiful time for more of this type of message to get out to those people who want to change their circumstances. From your perspective, how could how could we begin to change society by getting those same beliefs that you talk about, the same beliefs that allowed you to be able to go from somebody to somebody that people know trust, look up to, and you've created some great wealth. How can we as a society start passing along those beliefs to the people who have frankly had a very tough time? Man, first thing I'll say is going to those people who are having a tough time, who are going through it and letting them know we see you, right? Because when I think about the times where I was really struggling, it wasn't just the struggle. It wasn't just the financial struggle. It was, I felt like I was invisible. Right. Like people love a winner, but they hate a loser. And if you're sitting back feeling like a loser, you you're permeating that in terms of your thoughts, in terms of what you're putting out there. So I think the first thing is embracing people who are going through a tough time, finding out what they need and then giving to them to the best of your ability. But it's also working with people's mindsets because your truth is not found on your phone. Truth is not found on TikTok. Man, truth is found in books. And I say this to people all the time. The truth is found in books because as Tony Robbins says, success leaves blueprints, right? And it's go get it, embrace it. Man, I read, never forget, I read um, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Hmm. And I read that book 10 times. And I read that book 10 times and literally wrote out my position statement. I, I forgot exactly how I put it, but just wrote out a bunch of affirmations. And I would say it all the time. I would say success is my birthright. Success is my birthright. And my ex-wife at the time was like, I was success your birthright. And she's no longer my wife, which you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> the ex. But I had to believe it because when I started to believe it, it permeated at a cellular level to the point where I didn't know what was coming. I know what I hope was coming. 
But what has come in my life has been exponentially greater than anything I could have ever dreamt of. Because mm-hmm. look, legitimately books, is, they're like gateways. They're gateways to something and a better life than you could ever imagine. Yeah. And, and the reason I think this is so important is because there's so much, we're on the edge of a civil war in this country. People mm-hmm. who are upset about the way that things are and people want to keep things the way that they are so they can stay in positions of power and sure. wealth and, and control. And it's through these kind of beliefs that we're talking about right here that are available in books at the library. Yet so yes. few people know or have the mentors or the guidance to really believe that that can really change their life. So I just want to reinforce to all the listeners as well as thanking you for having a conversation about it, because I really do think that that is the core and that leads directly into leadership within our own teams, because, you know, the best companies are made up of the best people. And oftentimes it takes a great leader to be able to pull out that greatness and show them a better way of thinking while encouraging them and supporting them on their personal growth. From your perspective, what makes a great leader? Someone who understands that they are human, right? Someone who understands that the people that they lead are human. And really someone who understands how important it is to master the little things, not the big things, you know, not the big public demonstrations of your love and support for your employees, but it's the little things. It's the constant check-in with your folks. It's if you get it wrong, let's be real. If you happen to raise your voice to an employee, Hmm. going back to that employee an hour later, two hours later, a day later, wherever the case might be saying, can we just sit down and talk? Like I'm going through it. You're driving me crazy. I'm sorry, but you deserve for me to show up better than how I showed up. Hmm. That employee might still be pissed off at you. That employee might still be hurt by you, but they will at least respect the fact that you owned it. They, then you want to listen to what they have to say in terms of how they received your words. You know, I want to go back to something you said earlier about uh, how this country is on the verge of a civil war. I think the civil war is already here. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the Kaiser Permanente strikes, you look at the aborted UPS strike, you look at the current UAW strike. The reason why we're seeing strike level activities around the country is because people are getting to the point where they're demanding more from their employers because the employers are demanding more from the employees. They're just not paying them at the clip that the employees feel like they deserve. So this us versus them divide that Occupy Wall Street attempted to talk about back in the day is actually now happening and we're seeing it. You know, I deal with um, negotiations all the time. And one of the things that amazes me is the amount of information that employees have about businesses today that they didn't have 30 years ago because there's no such thing as the internet. So when employees are sitting, when they're talking to their employers, they're actually anticipating that the employers are going to give them more than what the employers generally do because look, employers are requesting and requiring employees to give better products, give better services, better goods, and to get them out on time. Employees are sitting back saying, you're making exponentially more money than we could ever dream of off of our labor. Mm-hmm. But you haven't given us raises in three to five years. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't track. And you can't continue to come back and say, it's not in the budget. It's not in the budget because we see the budget and the budget is huge, right? So we now live in a day and age where employees are asking as much from the employer as the employer is asking of the employees. And until we can get both sides to come together as peacefully as possible, brother, we're going to see more strikes. We're going to see more walk-offs. We're going to see more 
people just basically decided to pull LeBron James and take their ball and, and you know, take their talents to South <laughs> Beach, right? When people are just, they're sick of it. And if the company's response is, well, you're lazy, uh, that only floats for maybe 2% of the population. The rest of the population is trying to hustle pretty hard, right? Because they got mortgages, they got kids that they want to send to school. They want to, you know, give their families a better life. So I think it has a, to come to a point. It's a I'm very sorry, difficult, it's a very difficult place for the employee to be because inflation has gone up dramatically. The cost yeah. of living has gone up and the cost of living in comparison with the wages of those people in the lower to middle class have been hammered over the last exactly. 40 or 50 or 60 years. And so it's a very difficult place to be. What, from my perspective as an employer, um, I run a small business paying people more money when there isn't those kind of margins is very difficult. And mm -hmm. so we're already competing against these big businesses that are already paying higher salaries. What the, the fear that I have when a company like UPS raises the, the wages of their drivers to, you know, above $200,000, the concern mm -hmm. that I have is that now that cost of that service is going to have to go up in relation to that. From your perspective, how are you seeing it? And and I'm curious to kind of hear what the other side is, because I know you've worked with a lot of unions and you help support people coming together to be able to bridge that gap on communication. Yeah, I'll say this from the perspective of the unions, they don't care. <laughs> Let's just be honest. They don't, for them, proof is in the pudding. And for them, the pudding is getting those employees more money because mm -hmm. that helps them to organize other companies. So they don't care what the impact is for you as a small business. They don't care what the impact is for, you know, companies that are hundred percent dependent upon UPS in terms of their, in order to get their products, goods and services out. They just don't care. What I'll say is that. But do they care UPS, about the impact that it will make towards UPS? If, if they're no, if they end up losing customer share because of those rise of, uh, rise of, uh, uh rates. Yeah, potentially, if UPS can actually demonstrate that they're losing customers. I mean, part of the challenge that UPS had in terms of trying to to cry broke when the Teamsters Union was asking them for more money was the fact that, like you're talking about, they're putting out 28 million pieces of parcels per day, mm -hmm. and they're doing such a high volume that DHL and FedEx couldn't even keep up in the event that they had to take even a third of UPS's volume while the employees were out on strike, right? UPS has got it. The challenge is that for you as a small business or any small business owners that are out there, from the perspective of the union, they're not going to care because UPS is doing business hand over fist, right? Mm -hmm. The challenge for you as a small I business think there's a, the challenge that I see is, I think that makes perfect sense, right? Both parties, and this really goes into the communication piece, which I feel like you have a really great perspective on, is that one party is saying, Hey, I need the most money. How can I get my people the most money? They have their goal. And then the business says, how can I keep my expenses as low as possible to either support having cash on hand to be able to survive or to be able to produce a return for investors. So right. they're, those two ideas are at odds. So they have very different, they're not really aligned on their, their core interests. Um, but I've always thought, you know, these unions, it would be smart for them to be negotiating for equity in these companies so that the decisions that they're making uh, lead towards either great returns for them. Like if the union owned a big piece of UPS, 
then the union would care about what the results were of those things. But it, I haven't seen that. I don't know. Have you seen any kind of argument for labor to be able to take ownership in a company or be able to earn shares in, in, in a firm like that? Yeah, great question. And I need to go back and do my research because I remember there was a period where the Teamsters did have a significant portion of UPS strike or UPS stock. So they have an investment because I remember reading this article. I'm a former board agent with the National Labor Relations Board. And I remember reading this article and it's right around, it's probably around maybe 2003, 2004, where the Teamsters were considering taking UPS out on strike. And they said it is, it's folly for the company because it's the Teamsters going out on strike against themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they owned a higher percentage of UPS. What I'll say that is what I would love to see happen for the future of labor relations is that unions do have a perspective that you just brought up, where if I'm going to be an asset to the company, I have to be a value added asset. Right. And you see this happen all the time in the trades unions. I mean, it's like some of the best workers you're ever going to find are union-trained electricians, union-trained plumbers, union-trained carpenters, because they get that training. That, in many ways, is the union's way of investing in the industry. What I see, though, is, and this is not to bash, I'm just telling you what I see, is that so many labor unions are at this point where they're talking at air, but you're not really providing any viable solutions as to how you're going to make this business more effective. Because if I help to make the business more effective, I make the employees that much harder to resist. Yeah, I think it's a very difficult place to be because I think there's a strong reason that unions exist. But from mm-hmm. my perspective, it always seems like the union is negotiating for the lowest common denominator of their employee base versus allowing the market to dictate that, oh, you're a much better employee, you're going to get paid much better as a result. Um, and there's such a focus on protecting that middle to lower tier because you know that that's what their job is their job is to keep these people employed and so i've always been you know i've i've been a supporter of unions and i've gone the other direction towards not really being supportive of unions and i get the reason why it's important yet it seems like the perspective that i've gathered to this point is that all they do is hurt those businesses because the, the goal and the purpose of a business existing is to make a profit. Yet sure. the goal of the purpose of the union is to get their people paid as much as they possibly can, which then ends up leading to it not being a competitive environment and it making more sense to outsource or bring in new technologies or find things like this. And so there has to be a better way of approaching that. But, you know, I don't think we'll see that until the system breaks, unfortunately. Yeah. And unfortunately it's a system, you know, people talk about old school versus new school. It's the same school. Right. And unfortunately it's the adversarial nature of labor relations. And I tell business leaders this all the time. If you want to continue to operate in the old way of doing things, good luck to you because the future has already caught up to us and then some, right? And especially when you look at companies, like one of the big pushes within the General Motor Ford Stellantis argument with UAW is the fact that these organizations want to move toward, you know, electrical vehicles. And when you look at the facilities that they're building, a lot of these facilities are powered by robots. Mm -hmm. 
the union can make the argument that that's unfair. You're putting, you know, good men and women out of work. The company's going to make the argument, well, robots are not going to go out on strike and cost us hundreds of millions of dollars per day like you are. So it's the chicken versus the egg <laughs> conversation, right? Yeah. So moving off of this and more towards in, in general, from a leadership standpoint, when you're having challenges within an organization and you've got, you know, a ton of great people and you've got an existing culture, but you happen to have people who are coming up and we've seen this at companies like Coinbase. We've seen it at Apple. We've seen it at um, very large companies from your perspective, what's the right approach towards dealing with activism that's happening within a company, you know, Coinbase, for example, they came out, they said, Hey, we're here to do one specific purpose. We're here to focus on creating a cryptocurrency exchange. We're not here to have political views or take activism roles. While we've seen at other companies, they maybe haven't necessarily put that foot down in the sand and said, uh, you know, anything they've gone along with the employees from your perspective, what's the right approach or what is the right way to think about that when you're in a large organization or even a small one and you Mm -hmm. have a a group of people who maybe are disagreeing on what the focus of the organization needs to be. Tell you what I tell my clients, because we saw this happen, especially around the George Floyd moment where you had the black lives matter versus all lives matter versus blue lives matter, you know, sort of political, you know, politically charged conversations that were happening within organizations what I said to my clients and I stood by this across the board was you have to meet this head on. First, you have to identify in terms of your, your, your executive team, where do we stand on these issues? Right. With the understanding that you're never going to appease everybody, but you know, to the perspective of Coinbase, we're here to do our job. That's all we care about. Yeah, that's cool. But if you're not careful, you're essentially, you know, creating these, these seeds of resentment that you can't see until it blows up on you. So what I say to people is I'm a big fan of town halls, but when I say town hall, I'm not talking in terms of getting all your employees together on a zoom call. I'm saying meeting with people, maybe five to 10 people at a time and hearing their viewpoints while also suggesting what your viewpoint is in terms of the organization. Because when all is said and done, it's awesome. If you believe that black lives matter, I believe black lives matter. But the reality is that we still have to provide for our customers And if the political conversation is getting into the point where it's overlapping on our ability to actually do our work, then our policies, then our virtues, then our values are completely skewed. Let's get back to work, but I need you to know that I hear you. I think it really comes down to the fact that I hear you and really solidifying that in the minds of the employees. Yeah, it makes sense. There's definitely pros and cons to both sides. You know, the pro of Coinbase coming out and saying, hey, we're here to do this. If it's more important to you to have activism in your career, let's let's work together to find you in a new position and essentially clear out some of that uh, in from their environment versus on the other side, we've seen companies where, you know, employees have essentially taken over control and ownership and direction versus what the leadership wants. And so when you're dealing with a problem like that, how do you go and approach your team and be able to set the direction together of what really is most important and what is going to get us to the end of the day, what the purpose is of, of running this business? Recognize the need to cover old ground. When I say recognize the need to cover old ground, it's you setting your team down and saying, look, 
we might agree, we might disagree, but I want us to agree peacefully and I want us to disagree peacefully. But in the end, we need to make sure that whatever it is we're discussing here, I want you to get your perspective out, but it still comes back to the fact that we have to do our jobs. Part of the reason why you see some of these companies that are being taken over is sort of the, the activism within the companies that, are, that are, are falling prey to this is because the leaders are so scared to make a mistake that they just don't say anything. Or if they say something, mm-hmm. they come across very passive. The moment you come, people are sharks. And the moment mm-hmm. they smell blood in the water, it's on. It's game on. Right? Mm-hmm. Be strong in who you are. Acknowledge, look, I don't have all the answers. And my viewpoint might be different than your viewpoint, but that's the beautiful thing about America. And that's the beautiful thing about our workplace. I want to hear what you have to say, but I'm going to share an opinion also. Mm -hmm. If you attempt to shout me down, understand, I'll take it for about a minute. And then I need you to remember, I'm your boss. You're my employee. We agreed in the beginning that we're going to agree peacefully and we're going to disagree peacefully. And how you're going about disagreeing with me is not peaceful whatsoever. And you have broken the terms and conditions of this group. If that's how you're going to continue to be going forward, this might not be the organization for you. But for the rest of the employees, this is a place where we are seen. This is a place where we're heard. Because I want to hear from you in a manner in which I can understand it. What I'm talking about here is setting the rules and the guidelines for how we're going to have these kinds of conversations. And what we find is that employees step to that because, you know, it's easy. Social media is full of the, the loudmouths, right? Because the loudmouths get the attention, but the vast majority of people want to be heard and they want to be peaceful in terms of what they have to say. They just need to know that they can trust you and, and that you're willing to hear them. It's interesting how the more that we discuss this and the more that I've heard you speak in other, in other avenues, uh, the more that the same things that you need to do with your employees and with leadership is the same things we should all be doing out in society with our friends, yes. with our family. We should be listening. We should be hearing. We should be seeking to understand a different perspective. And even if we disagree, we should be open to being able to hear things that we don't like in the opportunity so that we can better understand it and potentially uh, potentially even change that viewpoint, if not at the very least, find some common ground. A hundred percent, because when it's all said and done, look, we come from, I'm sure we come from different walks of life, but the thing that we have in common is that we're still alive. The thing that we have in common is that we both have brains and our brains are consistently telling us a story about the outside world. And 99% of what our brain is telling us is not true. But the moment I open myself up to actually hear what you have to say, And the moment you open yourself up to hear what I have to say, now we're getting closer and closer to at least coming to some type of common ground where we're not going to agree with everything, but we're going to agree with enough things. And at the core of that is I respect your right to speak your mind and I respect the heart and the passion of what you speak it with, right? That's what it comes down to. You know, when we talk about leadership, leadership today is no different than leadership was yesterday. People who work for money, but they'll die for respect and they'll die for recognition. But how you want to be respected might be different than how the next guy wants to be respected. And how you want to be recognized might be different than how the next person wants to be recognized. But the key is creating that open heart and that open mind toward understanding that other person. Yeah, I think with more of an open heart and open mind, there'd be a lot less fighting because a lot more people would understand one another. They'd be open to it. 
And maybe I'm waxing on an old time, but I, I remember it being like that. And I hope that we can somehow find our way back there. So you've built an incredible business. You've had a lot of success. What do you see is next for you? What's the focus point on what life you're building towards both in your business and in your personal life? Oh man, fantastic question. I'll say the focus is on reminding myself to have fun, right? Because I'm so, look, this, this past weekend was probably the most, um, amazing experience I had in my life. I was inducted into my high school hall of fame mm. and it was, uh, my high school Lutheran high school North in St. Louis has always been near and dear to my heart being there with, you know, being able to publicly celebrate my parents. My father's 86 years old. My mother's 49 years old. Okay. She's 82, but I say 49, right. For her, <laughs> um, having my family there, having my friends there and being celebrated for my accomplishments beyond my time in high school made me recognize that it's all been worth it. Right. And I walked out of the experience feeling like I want more of this, not just in terms of the award. I want more of this in terms of, I get so siloed because I work so much. I'm on the road about 220 days out of the year. And sometimes life for me can look like a hotel, an airport, my client, and then back to the hotel, then back to the airport. So really working toward having more of a holistic perspective on what life is about. Um, we're looking That's at beautiful. incredible expansion of my business, which I'm really excited about. Uh, brought on some wonderful team members. And I'm already at, you know, close to the top of the employee relations game. And I want to take my company to the point where when I am dead and buried and I've gone on to be with my ancestors, that business is still going, it's still thriving, it's still impacting people's lives. So that's really my yeah. goal. Well, we could add a whole episode on what we're going to spend the next two minutes talking about. We'll have to have a follow-up conversation, but what does that yeah. path look like for you right now? Being somebody who is a consultant, you're on the road 20 days out of the month. You've been doing that for a very long time. What yes. things have you put in place or investments either external to your business or within your business, that's going to allow you to have more of that balance to enjoy the life that you've, you've been gifted that you've created for yourself. Um, what are you looking at doing and, and how does that change, uh, change look? Great question, man. If you'd asked me that question a year ago, I'd have been like, I have no idea. Let's cut this tape. I'm done. Right. But what I've been able to put in place is, hired some wonderful assistants um, who have really helped me in terms of helping me to offload a lot of the work. Um, my team is incredible. I have a team of 22 consultants that I personally trained, but they came with a great deal of experience as it is. And so them being out in the field and recognizing that I don't have to be out there. My job is to make sure that I'm the rainmaker overseeing things, but also having wonderful project managers in place has been great. I'll say from the wealth management side, it's really having people that I trust who that's what they do and they do a fantastic job of it and they allow me to do what I do and that's employee relations so that I don't have to worry about that on a daily basis, making sure that when I say people I trust, I'm not saying I have your posse who are taking care of your money and then you look at one day like so many athletes and then you have nothing. I'm yeah. saying people who are established, people who know what they're doing, people who have a wonderful track record. And more importantly, their investment is not just your money. Their investment is you. 
making sure, because my goal is when I retire, when I'm 150 years old, right. <laughs> that I can retire with as much comfort as I worked hard to receive. Yeah. Well, it's really important. And that's one of the biggest challenges is that we get so good at doing the thing that we do every day that oftentimes business owners, you know, aren't going through the process of education of understanding, well, what are the different investment opportunities? What does that look like? What is it that I could do over here that could save me a ton of money on taxes? How could I yes. very securely grow my money in this direction? And it's super important to have a great team. And so it's great to hear that you've relied on those people. How have you gone about finding and sourcing those types of operators or partners or financial advisors or wealth advisors um, to help support you on that? Man, I would like to say that I did a bunch of research, but really I got lucky. Um, one of my best friends from college is uh, married to a one of the top financial planners, wealth managers in the country. And so uh, through our friendship, I met her and what she and her team have been able to do for me have just been extraordinary. You know, I'll tell you, man, I 2016, I'm reeling from a divorce. I'm living in a $750 a month basement apartment struggling. I barely have any money to my name. And I was so broke that I couldn't even afford a bankruptcy attorney. Right. So that, that's when you know you hit rock bottom yeah. and to now be on that other side, man, where I'm humbled. I'm just, I'm humbled and I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that it was just through my hard work and pull myself up on bootstraps. I got lucky and through God's grace, through ancestral blessings, man, I've just been able to not only rebound, but to thrive in ways that I just could not dream of. So it's been a fantastic journey. Well, it's been great diving into a number of different topics through the day, Jason. I wish we had more time, but I know we have a hard stop as you've got a training you've got to go to because right. as we talked about, you're always on the road, you're always doing something. So um, where can people find out more about you or follow along uh, or get in touch? Yeah, great question, man. So you can find me on my website, hiregci.com. That's hiregci.com. Um, I'm an active presence on LinkedIn. So I think it's Jason Greer. If you just put in Jason Greer Employee Relations, you'll find me quickly. I pretty much network with everyone who comes my way. So come on board, man. Join my newsletter. We're talking about employee relations topics, uh, twi I think twice per month. So get on board, man. Let's have some fun. Great having you on, Jason. Thanks all for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Von Finch Capital. If you're interested in investing alongside me in the same type of real estate opportunities that I personally invest in, then head over to Von Finch Capital and join their private investor network. You can do so at vonfinch.com slash invest. Join me on that next deal. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. Hey, this is Steven again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is the Insider's Newsletter. Would you enjoy getting a single email every week with some of my favorite things, including tips and strategies on how to get the most out of your life and your investments? Basically, what it is is some of the coolest things that I've discovered or am pondering when it comes to life, investing, and business delivered in a short email every week to your inbox. Easy to sign up for, easy to cancel. If you'd like to try it out, 
type into your browser, investormindset.com newsletter to get started, and you'll get the very next one.